Well, do you have some spring fever? I'm afraid I do. Uh, Last Monday, Carolyn and I washed half of the trailer. Now, you know what that means. We have to wash the other half now. And, but it looks so much better. Uh, we washed off the, the green and the mold. And, but, uh, and the, fla- the you know, flowers are coming. Trees are budding. You know, someone said to me this morning, I think that trees and plants just know what they see today and they operate on that basis. Does that sound a little familiar to you? That's kind of the way God wants us to live, isn't it? One day at a time, and what we get in that day, and that day only. So, um, well, we are coming to the end of the Lord's Prayer. And you're saying, finally. (laughs) Yeah, we've come to the last phrase. uh, For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And we want to talk a little bit about that. In your Bibles, you may discover that that phrase doesn't appear in some of your Bibles because it isn't in some of the manuscripts. Um, We have uh, two primary families of manuscripts. They are called the Byzantine family and the Alexandrian family. And uh, it appears in some of the Alexandrian manuscripts, but it doesn't appear in some other Alexandrian manuscripts. And it appears in some Byzantine manuscripts, and it doesn't appear in other Byzantine manuscripts. So it comes down to this. We're not really sure whether Jesus spoke these words or not. Uh, They are, however in a lot of our Bibles, and they are, however, in some of the manuscripts, older manuscripts, and therefore, I'm going to preach it, if you don't mind. Uh, And you know me, I can't just do it in one sermon. I have to have one on the kingdom, one on the power, and one on the glory. So uh, when you look at your outline this morning, you'll see there's just a Roman numeral one And the reason for that is that Roman numeral 2 and 3 are coming. And uh, uh, that Roman numeral 1 doesn't mean I've lost my ability to think. It's just that uh, the other two sermons will come later. This phrase, while it doesn't appear in some of the manuscripts, it really does fit with the Bible. It fits with the Old Testament for example, in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 11, you read a statement like this. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. And that sounds a little bit familiar. And it would not be unusual for Jesus to reach back into the Old Testament and pull out a phrase and use it like this. So if he did actually state this statement, he may in fact be quoting um, an adapted form of the uh, First Chronicles passage. You see a similar thing 
in Nehemiah chapter 9. You see the concept of it in the book of Psalms from Psalm 145 all the way through to the end of the book at Psalm 150. But it also fits in the New Testament. You see concepts like it in John 8:50, in John 17:4, 1 Corinthians 10:31, uh, 2 Timothy 4, and Revelation 1. And so the fact is, this passage is in complete harmony with what we read in the Bible, and therefore it does become a significant phrase in the Lord's Prayer. So we want to take a look at it. For thine is the kingdom, we will talk about today, we will talk about seeking God's kingdom first. And then, uh, uh, and the power, we will talk about depending on God's power in uh, three weeks. And then, uh, for thine is the glory forever, amen. We will talk about living for God's glory the week after that. Um, I think that one of the fellows that has contributed a lot to Christianity is Augustine. We often call him St. Augustine. He was a product of the Alexandrian school in northern Egypt. Uh, He was born in the middle of the 4th century, about 354 A.D., died somewhere in the middle of the 5th century. We're not exactly sure when. Um, He is known as the father of Catholic theology. And he was one who promoted heavily uh, the idea of allegorical interpretation, meaning that when you read Scripture, whatever you read actually stands for something else. It's symbolic for something else. And uh, we see a lot of that in Catholic theology. And uh, he was somewhat responsible for, uh, from the uh, uh, council at Ephesus in 431 AD of making allegorical interpretation the primary interpretation, the primary hermeneutic that would be used. He said a lot of wonderful things. And one of the things he said that I want to quote to you today comes to play with how we think about God's blessing. Here's what he said. He said, quote, God wants to give us something, but he cannot because our hands are full. There's nowhere to put it. Let me say it again. God wants to give us something, but he cannot. Because our hands are full, there's nowhere to put it. And maybe when you and I ask ourselves, why aren't we getting the blessing of God, we might want to take a look at these. We might want to see what's in them. See what it is that we are grasping onto, and see what it is that we refuse to let go of. 
Because sometimes, in order to get God's blessing, we have to let go of some things in order for God's blessing to come in and replace those things. Uh, A.W. Tozer said once that only only the conquered can know God's blessing. They can only know true blessing. We have to understand that if we are going to live in the kingdom of God, if we are going to seek God's kingdom first, then that implies that God is the king and we are the servants. That God is the king and we are his subjects. And we are conquered by him. So what does it take to have God's blessing in our life? I want to give you uh, three secrets to God's blessing. And we'll give you only the first one today. And that is that God blesses people who seek his kingdom first. God blesses people who seek his kingdom first. And you know where I'm going to go. I have to go to Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, where it says, Jesus speaking, says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Uh, Ken Taylor, uh, in the process of uh, putting that down in the living Bible, paraphrased it this way. He will give them to you if you give him first place in your life. Now, I need to tell you that chapter 6 of Matthew is full of stuff that we tend to worry about. Chapter 6 of Matthew, Jesus is addressing all of the stuff that the people were worried about. You know, there is... The future. What does my future look like? There's happiness. Am I going to have happiness? What is it going to look like? What is it going to take to make me happy? And remember, we said that happiness is dictated by our uh, immediate surroundings, by our circumstances. Joy we receive because of who we know God to be. And there's a big difference in those two. Uh, In April, Carolyn and I have to go to that place. You know, Disneyland. When I'm at Disneyland, I'm happy. My grandson will be playing in the band at Disneyland. So we have to go there. That is a good excuse. And so, uh, uh, see, happiness is dictated by our circumstances and our surroundings. And uh, most of us don't take a lot of trouble to Disneyland. At least we don't think about it when we're there. Um, But joy is given to us because of who we know God is. We can be in a lot of trouble and still have our joy. And then there is health that we worry about. There's the security that we worry about. Some of us worry about relationships. 
Some of us worry about money. Some of us worry about what we're going to wear. Jesus says some of us worry about what we're going to eat or what we're going to drink. And when he says that God will give you all of these things, he's saying you don't have to worry about those. God will give those to you if you put the kingdom of heaven first. What does that mean? It means making God's agenda your agenda. Means making God's agenda my agenda. <clears throat> you know, sometimes I, I I'm going to talk about this later. I I probably shouldn't talk about it now, but I I always talk to God first thing in the morning when my eyes open. Typically, I'm not even out of bed yet, and I want to say to God, God, I'm awake. That must mean I'm alive. That must mean that uh, you have something for me to do today. And I'm immediately starting to pray to help God accomplish what he has for me to accomplish today. I want his agenda in my life. The second thing is, is that, and this is close to it, making God's plan my plans. See, I don't have my phone with me. But if you go into my calendar on my phone, it's full of a schedule. I know where I have to be. I know who I have to see. I know how long I have to be there on any given day, any given hour of the week. And sometimes that schedule fills up so full that there's no place for me to put God in there. And maybe... Sometimes we have to plan God into our lives. Uh, So God's plans, what is it his plans are? And then making God's will your will. Uh, I I often find myself in a situation where I want to do something or watch something on TV or something like that, and I have to ask myself, Would the Lord Jesus watch this? Or would the Lord Jesus do this? I want to be reminded at every turn about what it is Jesus would do and whether I should do or watch that thing. Making God's priorities your priorities. Remember God's priorities. God's priorities is for you and me to demonstrate to a world that is dying in sin, that God sent his son to redeem us. Carolyn and I were having lunch with our son in the first service. I couldn't remember his name. His name is Richard, I might add. Anyway, the girl comes to our table, and she wants to take our order, and her name tag says Carissa. And I say to this girl, do you know the origin of your name? She says, yeah, it's Greek. I said, do you know what it means? She said, yeah, it means love. And I said, well, uh, actually it means grace. Sometimes it's translated joy, of course, Love comes out of grace and joy, uh, but, uh, but you got a wonderful name. It means grace. 
and your name is Grace. And so uh, she took our order. She went on her way, and I got up to pay the bill. See, the son doesn't pay the bill. The dad pays the bill. I got up to pay the bill. Sorry, Rick. It's okay. He's watching these. Uh, 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 I got up to pay the bill. I go to the register, and she checks me out. And uh, she opens the conversation. And she said, when I was in high school in San Jose, California, there was only one other girl in the whole school whose name was Carissa. And I felt pretty good about that. And I said, well, you know, that word charis is the word that is used in the Bible to show that God in his grace and his love, I might add, sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to be the sacrifice for our sins. And I said, when you walk around with that name on your shirt, you are declaring one of the most wonderful messages the universe has ever heard. And I dropped it right there. Here's an important thing to remember. It is not your job to get people saved. It isn't even my job to get people saved. It is our job to share the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit and leave the results to God. See, if it was my job to get people saved, nobody would get saved. If it was your job to get people saved, nobody would get saved. But it's God's job to get them saved. It's my job to let them see Jesus. And that's all we have to do. So all you and I have to do is share the gospel and leave the results to God. Walk away from it and let God take it from there. So God's priorities are upon us. When you get up in the morning and you have that little prayer with God, do you want to make God's priorities yours? And then there are God's goals. And uh, we should be asking ourselves, What's God's goals for my life today? So how do you look at this? What should you and I pray on a daily basis? Here's a good option. Pray like this. God, I don't want you to bless what I'm doing. I want you to help me be doing what you are blessing. And that becomes part of the process where you and I find out where God is doing something great, join into that and move on from there. Or find out what God wants to do, start that up and get it going and move on from there. See, whatever you want God to bless, you have to put him first place in that thing. So if I were to come today and tell you that the way you get blessed by God is by putting God's kingdom first, and that's all I told you, you'd walk out and say, well, i got to put God's kingdom first. And tomorrow morning when you woke up, you'd say, well, how do I do that? So I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you where are the places in our lives that we ought to put God's kingdom first. Here's the first place, in your finances. And let me say up front, that I did not plan this on a day when we're going to have a meeting talking about our church's budget. This sermon has been in the works for a very long time, 
and was in place uh, before this meeting was ever scheduled. So let's talk about finances for just a little bit. And I use 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 have a lot to say about giving in the New Testament. And the tithe really is not the standard in the New Testament. Uh, the, the standard in the New Testament is that you and I give according to how God has blessed us. But there are some principles, and I want to talk a little bit about them. So let me read this text. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly. Circle the word sparingly. These, what Paul does in this passage is he uses a whole bunch of words that aren't used any place else in the entire New Testament. So they become unique words, and they're words worth our looking at. This word sparingly means that instead of putting a seed in the ground every two inches, we put a seed in the ground every two feet. And what does that mean? That means we get less plants. See? And then he says, and whoever sows bountifully shall also reap bountifully. Circle the word bountifully. That word uh, is the Greek word uh, eulogeo. It's the Greek word we get our English word eulogy from. Now, let me tell you a story about that. Um, It literally means flattering speech. And at the time this was written, if somebody died and you went to the funeral, there would be a lot of flattering speech. And you would be sitting out there in the congregation and you would say, are they ever going to get done with this? Why don't they stop? Good grief. I know he was a good guy. Let's get him in the ground and get this over with. And there was so much flattering speech that it went on and on. And that's where the word took on the bounty idea or the bountiful idea because there was so much of this flattering speech taking place. And so when he says, those who sow bountifully mean that you, instead of putting a seed in the ground every two inches, you put four seeds in the ground every two inches. And so you, you give more. And when you put more in, obviously you're going to get more out. And then he says, let each one do just as he purposed in his heart. Circle the word purpose. It is the word um, a pro-ireo. Uh, It means to choose or decide beforehand. It means that you and I should choose to do something beforehand. In other words, um, uh, it's the idea that when Pastor Paul comes up and he says, now it's time for communion and the offering, and you say, oh, what am I going to do with the offering? I forgot about that. What should I do? How much should I give? I don't have any money with me. On and on and on we go. 
This word means that you make that decision way in advance, that you decide it beforehand. Let me tell you something. Carolyn and I, at the beginning of every year, decide what we are going to give to God. Um, Now, we give one check a month, and the whole thing goes in for that month. But Carolyn and I decide what we will give to God, and that decision is made. So generally, on the first Sunday of the month, I walk in there and drop a check in, or she does. And the result is, is that that decision is made. It's fixed. We don't ever have to worry about that. This, we don't go through the stress of saying, oh, what are we going to do? Am I going to give? Do I have any change? Do I have any money? Uh, that decision is made. And that's precisely what this word means, to make the decision ahead of time. And then he says, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Circle the word cheerful. Again, it's the only place it's used in the New Testament. You know what the Greek word is? Hilaros. Yeah, hilaros. It means with hilarity. So if we hear you chuckling when you go to the box, that's okay. Uh, we don't want you rolling on the floor laughing, but, but that word means hilarity. We ought to be happy, cheerful about being able to do this thing. Let me give you five principles about giving, and maybe they will help on a day when we're going to gather together and talk about our budget and what we need to do to correct that. Uh, here's the first one. And, and I, I have to go outside of this passage a little bit. In Second uh, 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 Corinthians 8, 9, always connect the sacrifice of Jesus with your giving. That's the first thing. There's a, a little room on the back of your outline. You can write these down. Always connect the sacrifice of Christ with your giving. In 8, 9, it says this. For you know the grace, charis, I might add, of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. In other words, we ought to be thinking that because Jesus gave so much for me, shouldn't I give something to him? and to his ministry, and to his church, and so on. So that's the first thing. Always connect the sacrifice of Christ with your giving. Here's the second thing. The more you give, the more blessing God will give to you. We've already talked about that. The, the sparingly, the abundantly, and all of that. The more you give, the more blessing God will give to you. Here's the third one. Your giving should be planned. Make it planned. Make the decision. Take your wife out, men, to dinner and say, what shall we give to God this year? And plan it and determine it so that you both know. Uh, Here's the fourth one. Do it cheerfully with hilarity. And here's the fifth one. 
And this comes out of chapter 9, verses 8 to 10. Make sure that you are trusting God to meet your needs in the middle of your giving. Let me say this again. Make sure that you are trusting God to meet your needs. See, here's what happens. We say, oh, I can't give to God this month. I've got to pay the rent. There's not enough left over to give to God. Uh, what I have to do is give it to God and trust him to pay the rent. See, I, I, I don't know how to get this across better. Am I willing to trust God in faith with my eternal destiny and not think that God can get the rent paid? If I'm going to trust him for the one, I have to trust him with the other. Remember last week when we said man's solutions don't work? Well, this is one of those solutions that we come up with. We think we'll pay all our bills first and all our wants first, and then we give God some of what's left over. What we need to do is make that plan and stay faithful to the plan and then trust God. We, Carolyn and I, have seen God do some incredible things, and he'll do some for you too. And that's when your faith will grow. That's when your trust will grow. So finances, that becomes uh, very important. Here's the second one, your interests. Your interests. And I go to 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, circle the words, whatever you do, because it takes in a whole realm of what we do in life. Do all of it to the glory of God. So our interests, if you want to put the kingdom of God first, you have to put your interests into that bag. You have to put your career into that bag. You have to put your recreation into that bag. You have to put all of your hobbies into that bag. You have to put all of your interests into that bag and let God judge them and determine whether they are good for you or bad for you. Um, you know, Carolyn and I, well, I drove a motorcycle. Carolyn rode with me. Um, I drove a motorcycle most of my life until I got this tremor and I got a little concerned about that. So we sold the motorcycle in 1986, we went from Portland, Oregon to Portland, Maine and back on the motorcycle and took five weeks to do it, had a wonderful time. But the fact is, there are groups that do not give motorcyclists good, good reputation. And so I had to work at making sure that people knew I was a good guy. And... Uh, the result of that is, is that we had some of our best ministry doing motorcycle stuff. 
and so uh, it was an interest. It was a hobby. It was something I loved to do. But I gave. But we have to give that to God as well. So we joined a motorcycle gang <laughs> called the CMA, the Christian Motorcycle Association, an international organization. I'm still a member. We, we joined another motorcycle gang called the Retreads. You had to be 40 or older just to get in. And, uh, and, and we shared the gospel to dozens of people. It was a non-Christian group. We shared the gospel with dozens of people there. I did funerals there. Uh, uh, there I, I came close to doing a wedding there. Uh, uh, some of those people got saved there. Some of those people, well, I'll never forget one morning at Gateway Baptist Church when this group of people walked in in motorcycle attire and sat down in the back row and the elders were saying, who are those people? I said, those are my friends. <laughs> so, interest, it all has to come under the kingdom. See, I think sometimes we get too interested in what are my rights. I think we should stop being concerned about the assertion of our rights and more concern about the glory and reputation of God. Sometimes I say, I have a right to do that thing. God says, no, it's not part of the kingdom. And then our relationships. Our relationships. And this becomes very important. A couple important things I want to say here. One I forgot in the first service. I'm using 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? And what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Another word for the devil. And what has the believer in common with the unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. This body is the temple of the living God. So in relationships, we want the kingdom of God to rule. Whether it's your marriage, your family, your friends your business, that's where these words apply to all of those. Now, let me say a very important thing. How many of you in this room are married? Raise your hand. Let me see. Good bunch of you. How many of you are not married? Let me see. Okay, another bunch of you. How many of you want to be married? Yeah, you, yeah, you guys won't put up your hands, I know. Uh, listen. The best place for your spouse, the best place for your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your fiancé, your fiance, the best place for that person to be is in second place. See, because if you put them in first place, then God doesn't get his rightful place in your life. I want to be second place to God in Carolyn's life. And here's what happens. If you put that wife or that husband in first place in your life, then sooner or later you are going to ask that wife or husband or you are going to have the expectation 
on that wife or husband to meet a need for you that only God can fill. And if that happens, there is trouble in the village. There will be trouble in the marriage. So you have to put God in first place and put the wife or the husband in second place. That's why once in a while you'll find a husband who will cheat on his income taxes and bring them to the wife and say, sign them, and she'll say, no, I can't sign that. And why is that? Because God is first place in her life and her husband is second place. And that's one illustration of dozens that could take place in our lives. And then let me say that we are not talking about, we are talking about all relationships here. And we would encourage you to have intentional relationships with unbelievers. We want you to have unbelieving friends. We want you to have friends who don't know Christ because we want them to see Christ in you. But even in those relationships, the kingdom of God must be first. If the purpose for that relationship is to show Jesus to that friend, think of how much of a friend they become when they become a Christian. So relationships become very important. Finally, schedule. Uh, Next is schedule. Uh, Schedule, and I use Psalm 90, verse 10. Uh, As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years, or if due to strength, 80 years. Yet their pride is but labor and sorrow, for soon it is gone and it flies away. Um, you and I you know I start talking to God before I ever get out of bed in the morning I've already told you that we want to say to God God I want you I want to love you a little more today I want to serve you a little better today I want to know you a little better today so how do you Give your schedule to God. Here's the first way. Here's the first way. Give God the first part of every day. Instead of getting up and reading the newspaper or watching all the bad news, uh, talk to God first and, and tell God that you want his kingdom to live in your life today. Tell him that you want him to own you today. I pray like that. And when Carolyn and I pray together in the morning, I pray it again. God, own me today. Uh, Use what I say and think and do to honor you today. And then give God the first part of every week. Uh, Make sure that you are coming to worship him uh, uh, with his spirit and with his people. And then finally, if you're going to have God's kingdom first in your life, you have to do it with trouble. And I use Psalm 50, verse 15. And call upon me in the day of trouble. I shall rescue you, and you will honor me. 
In other words, when you have trouble, talk to God about it first. You know, I, I work with people all the time. Sometimes they have this awful trouble going on in their lives. And sometimes I'll hear somebody say, well, you know, I guess the only thing we can do is pray about it. And I say, well, has it come to that? It's very important that you understand that prayer is always your first choice, not your last resort. Talk to God about your trouble. It's amazing how often God reveals to me stuff about my trouble when I talk to him about it. God often talks to me. I don't mean verbally, but God talks to me and says, you know, part of this trouble is your own fault or, or here's a way out of that trouble or here's what to do in this case. So we're just about ready to do communion and, and we're going to deliver it to you this morning. We're going to take it together. I've given you a checklist. Finances, interest, relationships, schedule, trouble. Maybe there's something there you need to check this morning where the kingdom of God needs to be first in your life. You don't need to check it now. Maybe when we start uh, uh, giving ourselves to uh, uh, talking, thinking about communion, maybe you want to check it then. Maybe you want to take the outline home and check it at home. Maybe you want to add one. Maybe there's something I haven't covered that you know in your life should be there. The first way to get God's blessing is to seek first the kingdom of God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we may come into your presence and remember this incredible thing you've done for us by sending your Son that sacrifice is so incredibly important and it should reflect upon everything that I do and if Jesus has done so much for me how much should I be willing at least to do for him so today Father we give ourselves to you and ask you to open our hearts as we come to this special time of communion together. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.